Dream. Hey, today we're sitting. This is a pretty cool studio. Isaac John, known as Ice, uh, to me, known as a former pro athlete, but an elite businessman impacting plenty of people on the way up. And uh, I feel like I know you, mate, but I actually don't. But I feel like it just because of so many mutual contacts. So thanks for coming on this show, mate. This show is usually coaches, teachers, leaders, um, business people, some athletes. Uh, and it's always, I always ask questions, how can I help the listener? Um, so nothing scripted, mate. I just want to like, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us in your studio at YKTR. And uh, let's see where this chat goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Obviously, same thing. I've heard your name plenty of times. I don't think we've crossed paths, but looking forward to this. So, Ken, I, I wouldn't mind starting where it all started. Um, I want to know a little bit about you, where you grew up and how you grew up. And then let's talk about your sport. And then eventually let's get into the business because you are a businessman. Uh, but le where, where did you grow up? I grew up in a small town called Tokoro in New Zealand. Um, probably notable players that have come from there. At the moment, Joseph Manu will probably be the big standout. Uh, Zane Tenovano all grew up in the same sort of town. And uh, my best mate was actually Quay Cooper growing up. So we've been sort of fortunate that really small town has come out and um, produced some pretty good players. Uh, Quay's elite, Joey's elite. Um, Zane's run a couple couple premierships. So it's a town that's roughly got about 10,000 people in it. Uh, very blue collar, built around either forestry. So all our parents either work in the mill or... Um, work in the bush chopping down trees so your whole town's built around forest, forestry so very cliche upbringing I was fortunate to have both my parents together all the time my dad was my football coach um, so very fortunate I always had like 10 footballs in the back of my in my house um, he had this little little shed I could just go in and grab balls you know what I mean and I know professional players who don't even have 10 balls now that they can sort of fuck around with so um, very much just a footy kid my dad used to coach the local prem side, so I was always around football. So I had to train like Tuesday, Thursday, and then he'd coach the men's side. So I'd go there, train with those guys, and then I was ball boy on Saturday and then playing on Sunday. So very much cliche, rugby league kid. Wow. So did you grow up with Zane? Is he about your age? He's like two years younger, but he grew up down the street from me. I love him, man. I love him. So. Um, I, say, I say this all the time when he gets cut. But he used to be like a really chubby kid. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, just kind of, like, I signed to the Warriors when I was a little bit younger, and then we played each other in 20s, and I just remember seeing him, and he obviously thinned right out and turned into a very good first grader. Mate, I, uh, so I worked with Zane at the Roosters, and, and then when I'd gone to Penrith, one of the, you know, like, one of the, I felt proud of doing it was putting his name forward to the recruitment, we, we need to bring Zane Tedavana. He will change the training standards. He will, he, the way he trains, um, you know, obviously like what you see, how he grew up so that he must've decided to do something with his training. Cause he's a, he's a machine now and his intensity levels that he trains at are at a different level. So you think any everyone that trains first grade, which, you know, throw in that person that just, you know, that one. That's like they're playing a test match every day at training. That's him. And what he did, he turned up to Penrith and he he then took guys like Fisher Harris with him, Moses Leota with him, Viliami Kikau with him. And, and their training intensity. So in the NRL, as you know, most teams are doing pretty much the same training, but Penrith are at a different intensity. And 
I still, after the grand final in 21, one of the first person I rang, well, I actually rang Greg Alexander and FaceTime. I wanted a former halfback to actually at least FaceTime with Nathan. And we're out on the field and I, I really wanted that moment because I know how much the club means to Brandy. But I rang Zane Tedovano straight away and thanked him for making everyone's job easier by setting the standards at training. And even that year, we'd lost the grand final the previous year to Melbourne. Zane played that game, but he still trained the whole preseason the following year. So he still had such an impact on that team, but he'd gone to Leeds. Um, but yeah, I love him. And Joey Manu also, uh, I think he's a freak, man. He's handy, isn't he? Oh, wow. What a good kid, too. So do you know Joey? Or? Yeah, yeah. Probably I was a little bit older. So um, I knew he was from my hometown, and my mum used to tell me, like, because oh, I knew his dad. His dad, um, I know it's not, I didn't play with him, not that old, but um, obviously it's a really small town, so families know each other, and, and the Money family is very, their name's very strong in our hometown. So you hear about him coming through. And then uh, I didn't actually see him play till I watched him play nines over in um, New Zealand. I think they won it that year too. The Roosters and, and Connor Watson picked up um, MVP. And it was the first time I watched him because I've always heard about him, said hello to him. We had a quick photo because we're from the hometown and then watched him play. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> he's going to be something. Well, that year he came into the full-time squad. And you know how you always get a first impression of someone? Yeah. Um, and one of my first impressions this young kid, would, you know, we're just playing a game of, offside touch or something but the scores were tied and there was like 20 seconds to go in this game and it was like get me the ball like and this was this young kid and he's around all these superstars and it was like get me the ball you know there's just people that want that responsibility they want you know and he uh he was that kid he was something special and i love watching him from afar now seeing how he's going so you grew up there, then when, when did you come here? Um, so I signed at the Warriors when I was like, I was actually signed at Parramatta when I was like 14, 15 as like a sort of scholarship kid. So yeah, I used to come over um, on like school holidays. Actually, st um, I reckon 2005, six, Rocket Ready walked up on my doorstep one time and get Grant Jones, yeah. Um, yeah, you would have been, you would have been, yeah. So he used to come over, stay. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I used to come over and um, stayed in like some of the houses. Obviously, stayed with Justin's family quite a bit on the weekends because they felt like closest to home. Yeah, so I was um, I never never come over to play history ball or anything like that. But I was just signed as like a scholarship kid, and um, they had a, a catchment area with Waikato at the time, and I was from Waikato, um, so I picked up a contract there. Come over here, sort of saw the bright lights of Sydney. Felt Parramatta was like massive, like. <laughs> um, so that that was that was really good for me because it allowed me to see outside my hometown and and like train with, with people and guys of my age were like Chris Keening and Tim Manor and you'd hear about all these contracts that these boys are on that was like fifty or sixty k at the time but I was like shit that's like crazy money um, and I used to stay at Scope's house on the weekends because it like felt like home like um, his family we used to always put on spreads and it felt like New Zealand to me and we used to hang out, I used to hang out there all the time and those boys were like a little bit older. And me and this guy used to stay back in the house because we weren't old enough to go out and it was fucking Hainsy. <laughs> and I didn't realise that how good Hainsy was. So me and him used to just sit in the room and talk a bit of shit. And literally next year he was debuted and then played for Australia. So it would have been 2004 and five. I was there. And then sort of 2006 is when he sort of kicked on. So yeah, yeah, Hainsy debuted. Brian Smith left, Jason Taylor took over. The first thing Jason Taylor did was debut Hainsy. Because he was the Ridges coach, eh? Yeah, I remember that. And he, uh, 
debuted Hainsey that week, and then '07 we had he had a cracker of a year. Uh, I mean, even that year '06, like he he scored tries in every single game we played. I think heaps of intercepts and shit. I remember that. Obviously, the '09 year, crazy. I remember. Um, actually, this is the first thing I remember about training because Rocket Ready like had signed me and we went to training and everything around Parramatta was like like going into contact with like these soft you remember that? Yeah. And this is this is what I remember. So like you'd pass and they'd show all these video highlights of Nathan Heimarsh, he'd done it really well. And instead of going into like stiff, like you'd go and soften it and allowed you to sort of bump off. And that was kind of the first thing I remember when I got there. And he goes, if you're a half, you pass, you put your guard up straight away. And I'm just like I was fresh from New Zealand. So I'm just sort of cruising around we're throwing shape and I looked up to Benji at the time I was doing flick passes and all this sort of shit and I remember like I goosied and I pass and I just looked down there and Rocket had the pads bang smacked me straight across the nose my nose was bleeding first day I got there and he goes that keep your guard up yeah, yeah, yeah. so we were at the Jets training in the morning it was like five and six and then it was the first time I went to a training thing and you trained in positions you had all your different colors like it was it was it was a cool experience to go through but it sort of realized like the level that they were at, because they had the best juniors at the time. Yeah. You look at Penrith now, that was kind of like Parramatta back in the day. Everyone used to steal their juniors. And I sort of come in, I was like, oh shit, this is the level I need to be at. But anyway, they ended up having Trent Hawkinson and Krippy, who Krippy was, they were the main guys and they were the New South Wales halfbacks. So when the 20s competition started in 2008, um, I ended up signing with the Warriors, like sort of the year before. And um, I signed with the Warriors 2006 and then um, done a preseason with the first grade straight out of high school and played for like the Auckland Wilkwood Lions at the time. And the first thing we played was actually Parramatta. Yeah. yeah, they'd just finished winning the comp and we played in round one, probably 2007, I think, and ended up beating them too. So yeah, yeah it was pretty cool. Oh, I'm positive I would have met you then. Yeah. Now I'm looking back at good Rod Ready to me, I love him. Like Rocket Ready, he, there's stuff that, so he was always a lover of fundamentals. So. I actually do that now when I when I coach young kids. I might not whack them in the head like that, but but I I, I talk to them about fall in love with the fundamentals, fall in love with the fundamentals because they'll still be fundamentals in another hundred years. It'll be the same in business. There's some fundamentals in business that you need to stick to, and and that was rocket ready, like how you even grip a ball or how you catch a ball or get that early catch. You know, like. There's fundamentals that he believed in then. And he also was um, a big believer in traveling around to places like where you grew up to find kids. I love that you said he just turned up on your doorstep. Yeah, it was yeah, it was pretty crazy. And it was probably the first time that, like I know it's broken down a lot more, but the first time, like you said, like holding the ball, like the thumb in the back panel, it was four fingers in the front. Like this is how you this is how you have to pass. And very much at the time, it was like a six o'clock pass, which was probably not that practical anymore. But at the time, it was kind of like innovative. Um, just sort of how it broke down the game into like really different paths. I just found like super interesting and sort of having the same play calls from under sixteen to first grade. Like I think Brian Smith was the first, yeah, first guy to do that. So it was pretty cool to like hear calls and then like you'd watch TV and this is when Timmy Smith was flying in first grade on debut year. So you'd watch him and you could hear him pick out the audio through through the refs mics and stuff like that. And you could just like, oh, like I understand what they're doing and I understand their play. And also not just playing plays for the sake of playing. It was like, you get to this point for this reason. So it was, it was cool. It was cool. Yeah. You mentioned something there about the family home you went to and made it feel like home. That That's something 
at the time I didn't understand the value in, but now 20 years later I do. Clubs that get that culture piece right and get to know the kid and get to connect with them, with their culture, the clubs that get that right are going to go here. Compared, like it's just to me now. Like you just said it. You used to go there. Like you've just come over as a fifteen-year-old kid in the big. You didn't like you thought Parramatta was the biggest city ever, and and that it, and, and so you you're missing family and like there's so much going on in that kid's mind and there's pressure that's coming with it there's a whole bit but just being at a household that put on a big spread and felt like home like that yeah that's so important isn't it and it's going to get more important you look at how predominantly um polynesians are in nrl right now like percentage wise so if, if you're going to recruit them you're going to and want to breed them up and turn them into first graders that part becomes almost vital because move a little bit differently like family's really close like we love to be around all of that probably don't respond to like one of, one of the old halfbacks told me like cause he come from aussie um i was one of a first graders he goes no you just got to treat everyone the same the standard's got to be the same and like if you spray him you have to spray him as well which is very at the time was what you did but what i found was like whenever i'd spray like the islander boys i'd start to go into their shell while i could spray an aussie bloke and he'd be fine and he'd be able to get along with it and then i had different halfback who was smart he goes no you can't treat everyone the same like some guys you can kick up the ass and other guys you have to put your arm around as long as you get the best out of them that's the most important part so i found like sort of stuff like that super interesting and and stuff i don't really think about but as i've gotten a little bit older uh, it's become like a little bit more important well you know what it became for me it became the biggest thing i care about now not the biggest thing but one of the major things i care about now is that piece so for example, the successful team at Penrith, a lot of your friends there, like, and we, everyone knows everyone's story, everyone knows their upbringing, everyone knows their own vision, their own philosophies, everyone, everyone is connected more, and because I'm really a big believer in the most connected team wins, and I feel like maybe back then we didn't put enough effort into that, you know? Yeah, it just wasn't the time. Yeah, like, and people can only measure t- success of what's been done before. So, like, we had Aussie halfbacks coming over to, well, even though they were first graders, but that's just what worked in Australia. So, therefore, like, oh, this is going to work in New Zealand. Now, obviously, everyone, like you said, everyone's like a little bit more connected now, a little bit more understanding of everyone's culture now. Um, it comes like, and once, like, I think about this a lot. So, when I, we, we go overseas, people from Australia, we look at Europe and go, how amazing is this culture? How amazing are these buildings? There's so much history behind there. We come to Australia, like a lot of the like indigenous cultures actually been ignored, but we've got the oldest living civilization in the world. And we have, we have a tendency to ignore them. Like why are we sort of celebrating them or getting to understand them? And I had Brandon Smith on the podcast the other day. And like in New Zealand, like the Maori culture is like celebrated. It's taught about, obviously it's not perfect, but... Like we can all count to ten in Maori. We all know Maori songs. We all know the Maori anthem. Um, so all that stuff starts to become really important. And then now it's just it's just going to be. I don't think it'll be the standard, but the bare minimum of any club that wants to be successful has to dive into culture. And it's cool. You learn about other people's culture. You understand what makes them tick. And at the end of the day, if you can look around at your teammates and you know what they're about, you're more aligned to protect them. You know what I mean? I know Fisher Harris's story and his upbringing and how he come over here now and I know his kids and I know his kids' names. Like when you're on the field and you start puffing and, and things start to get a little bit heavy and noise starts to get a little bit louder, you look at that guy like, I'm going to protect you and your family. So I think that style of 
um, sort of cultural slash sports is the part that's going to be really important moving forward if you want success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned um, Fisher Harris there. You know him growing up? Or? Oh, no, no. He, he, they'd just got to the club and I played a couple of games with him. I've, uh, he'd just come into uh, Rear G's and I was, uh, got dropped back. So we, we had a good side. Like We had like basically their first, uh, we had like um, Campbell Gillard, Isaiah Fisher Harris, but these kids are like 19, 20 and like dominating too, dominating grown men. But um, those guys were always going to stand out. I love him, man. I love Fisher Harris. It's just what you want in, in your pack. Are you looking at Jared's another guy? Like you look at Jared and you're like, fuck, we're going to be all right here. Um, I reckon there's plenty of boys look at Fish and go, yeah, we've got a chance here. Yeah. So Fisher Harris, like I told you, the Zane Tedavana, new intensity, Fisher Harris, he's taken that to another level. He, um, man, he has this philosophy, be better. Two words. Be better. That means be a better husband, be a better dad, be better this, be better in the gym every day. Every time he's in the film room, be better. Every time he's doing skills, be better. Every game, be better. Every tackle, be better. Like that's him. Like any, but he, you know, when people say words, like a lot of words on walls everywhere you go in footy, but that's him. This is his own words. He lives it, brother. He lives it and. He's one of my favourite players I've ever had to work with because it means so much to him too. And, yeah, when he says be better, like, yeah, if you had that type of approach, which I think you do in your business world, which is probably timely we move on to your business world, um, if you have his approach in business, because what I found myself at the moment, mate, which is probably why I wanted to talk to you was, I found myself now delivering a fair bit of corporate speaking and I never set out to do this, but everyone loves, like there's obviously the principles of coaching or high performance or leadership or, or culture. There's principles of it, but you throw the story with it and then you leave it with them how they can apply it to their work. I found business people love learning from sport. Sport people love learning from business. I just came back from time with the owner of Pertec in Florida because he's a mentor of mine and he, he thinks like a coach, but he's he's heading up a multi-million dollar industry. I found people are loving the stories that I share, but you've lived both now. So like, that's why I thought you're very interesting. You, you can throw the sports stories combined with your business stories and you were always passionate about the business side, right? Yeah. Um, Where did that come from? probably self-education to be honest so um when i i just got into first grade at the warriors and we were on a winning streak and we won like five games in a row and rocked up to penrith one day we ended up winning the game but in that game uh petro seven receiver dived at my knee and um snapped my acl so i was 20 years old feel like like in terms of roller coasters i feel like get i'm right on here i'm about to be a first grader this is what i've been working my whole life for and then boom get your knee gets taken out and um, very devastating at the time and the context of the world wasn't that, that massive, but when you're a 20 year old guy, you're like, oh, I had a guy named Michael Lark who was one of the toughest guys that you ever played with. And, um, I used to always, cause I used to live with Jacob Lilliman, who one of the great guys, um, and he was tight with Michael Lark. So I used to always hang around guys that are just a little bit older than me. And the thing I always found interesting about Lucky was that it was just so diverse across many different subjects. 
Like you watch him play, you're like, he must be an idiot. Just his head's always in the wrong place. Um, he just played the game really tough. But you talk to him off the field, he was just so diverse in, in many different ways. And my mum used to always push education on me. As my dad was my coach, my mum balanced me out with education. She's like, if you don't do well in school, you can't play football. Um, so I always had that. I always wanted to learn and, and get smarter. And I enjoyed like the video aspects of uh, rugby league and all the nerdy side of it. But Lucky got me into sort of reading where he gave me a book, not about the bike. It's not about the bike by Lance Armstrong before he got all caught and stuff. And he goes, this will give you a bit of context in life. So I read that book and obviously he'd gone through cancer. And then obviously it was my first sort of thing about perspective. So I'm like, oh, I've done my knee. I'm going to be out for six months. Here's someone with cancer that could potentially die. And he's got through it. And obviously when you're done your ACL, you spend a lot of time on your bike. So I actually enjoyed like the recovery side because I understood what, like, what a Peloton was and learning about that stuff. And then let's move to this phase. Um, I knew I was kind of over football. I knew I really enjoyed reading. So by the time I'd got to 2015, um, it's been, I've read about 100, 120 books. And then obviously your interests just change over time. Like you start reading about sports biographies and then they get a little bit boring and then you're kind of moving towards that self-development slash business phase. And I found myself whenever I was hearing about business, I was getting more excited than when I was talking about football. So that was just a, um, that was sort of how I got into business. I was just more into reading and I found my gut getting more excited hearing about business than I was anything else. Okay. Well, that's interesting because... I mean, there's listeners out there now that they're coaching, they're teaching, they're training. They're, there's a kid just got injured on the weekend. And that one book, Michael Luck, I'm handed you a book, like something so simple, um, kind of had a fairly big impact on your life. Like, so in and amongst this chat, there's little nuggets of gold going on. Like there's, because... The coaches and the trainers and the teachers, if they haven't experienced it themselves, it's a dark time, that injured time. Yeah. There's a kid getting injured now and he's out for the season and he's, he feels like the weight of the world's on his shoulder. Like it's a, it's a dark old time, that injured time. So and It's all about perspective because you look at, um, so most football players live week by week. Like we, we don't really know what's going on past next week because everything's done for you. And um, so when you live week by week, the period of six months seems like forever. Where if you have a long-term view, six months isn't that. I remember six months ago like it was yesterday. Like when we look at time moving forward, it seems so far. But when we look back in the, in the past, it seems so short. Um, and I actually had a meeting. I snapped my... So I ended up... Uh, when I went to Penrith, I ended up getting dropped back to reserve grade. Not by form, just because Peter Wallace and that were coming back. Um, and then... So I played first grade. I think I scored two tries against Parramatta. Got dropped back to reserve grade. Just because Peter Wallace or Sowie, one of them was coming back. And then the next week I got picked for the Kiwis. So I got picked for the Kiwis out from reserve grade. Yeah. So I got picked for Kiwis out of reserve grade, play the Kiwis. It was on, we played pretty well, almost. We were in the game for like 70 minutes and I think GI just rocked up and done what he does. And then I went back to um, reserve grade again. And within the first first play, first set I kicked the 40-20, off the scrum, snapped my Achilles. So, and then I remember slapping my Achilles and I had a meeting with Joey Nullivelle. Um, he met me at the Penrith coffee shop. And he goes, um, it's hard to hear now, but never live your life and coincide with football because your whole life is just going to be up and down, up and down. You need to create like different platforms or different avenues. And there was another very important meeting that I have because I find like even a players where if they attach themselves to 
what they do when that when that gets taken away and, and it always is going to get taken away like your whole world goes with it and i've found that within business too where like this is just what i do it's not who i am that's a big part that i'm trying to um even now like i'm so people identify me as like oh it's the yktr guy um but if that gets taken away like i'm trying to this was this is myself from that this is just what i do now and that's a really important part and that's what i try and say to footballers like don't train as hard as you can but don't let that be everything that you need to be like fisher harris he wants to be a better dad a better husband a better person like football is just a part of what you do it's not everything yeah well that's interesting then so who are you then like what is that philosophy of yours then what yeah what is it when you're saying like you're gonna the business is here but you want to make sure that uh it's it's not everything what who what is your philosophy what is your i don't think i have one that's sort of defined as a personal statement but what i do know that is like i want to like it wasn't until recently where where i sort of figured it out where i get a lot of people messaging me saying like you inspired me to do stuff and stuff like that and i kind of like it's not that i didn't appreciate it but i just kind of become like the new norm i think i just want to leave a massive impact in this world that i can inspire people not by going out to try and inspire and be fucking inspirational and talk shit like that but just by being me and documenting that side of it and i've i think i've documented the highs and the lows but what i sort of found when i went through these little low periods recently i realized that i'm so attached to my business that the same thing that joey said to me like when it's up and it's going great and money's coming in and everything's going good and everyone recognizes you i found i was riding those highs as well and what that does is it's setting you up for like a four four so just trying to stay just trying to stay level across the goods and the bad and you know that's like you look at any of the best players in the comp when everything's getting frantic they're usually the most calm you look at guys like cameron smith never phase the guys nathan Cleary's kick last week like when the whole world's watching, everyone's looking at one person. So it's trying to get to that point in business or in life where the highs are like, cool, like celebrate that, let's enjoy that for like 24 hours, but the lows are like, yeah, cool, let's let's dwell for 24 hours and get back on the horse and, and keep going again. So I don't know what my clear philosophy is, but um, I want to leave an impact, a positive impact. I'd like to go there with you one day. I do this with each player and coach and people I may mentor is like, we dig real deep into your own philosophy and your own vision. So I share with you my vision and you've known what I've done for work all these 20 odd years. And, but my vision, if I articulate it in words is to assist, lead or inspire someone else to achieve their goals, not mine. So how this come about articulating that in words was, so let's say Penrith, we're talking a lot about Penrith at the moment because we're a lot of mutual friends there. When I work for Ivan Cleary, my job is to assist, lead some parts of his program or inspire somehow an individual in that team to achieve their goal, not mine. So. It might be a player, it might be a staff member, it might be anybody, but each day if I tick that off, our theory on all that is the trophy will take care of itself. So, and then players that have their own vision, right? So, so we dig really deep. So Nathan Cleary's vision, right? So the trophy's here. Obviously we all want the trophy. That's everyone's vision, but how I was going to contribute to that trophy was to assist others 
or lead others or inspire others somehow. Nathan's was to play with a team of best mates that never give up. Simple as that, in words, play with a team of best mates who never give up. So what he had to do each day was make sure he was creating an environment. As a halfback, you know what that's like. Your job is to build relationships and have... He, his focus was to create a team of best mates. And in training, he drives standards that they, they will never give up. But the trophy kind of takes care of itself, you know. Um, Ivan had a vision he shared on an episode we've done. He, his vision was to be a source of community pride. So how they defend will make that crowd proud out there. How they play is making, how they act, how they roll. Like it, it, he, everything they do, Ivan can tick off on, be a source of community pride. So I've found having something like that, having a vision that um, you stick to and a philosophy, my philosophy was to show I care. So players know what I care about. They know I care about diving on a loose ball because I'll, I'll talk about it every single day. So, or they know I care about them as a person because I want to connect or, or players will feel what I care about. Um, but what I've found that's helped me in and out of different jobs if I just stick to that, everything's okay. So like right now, I'm actually via that camera listening to you. Someone else will be inspired by it. Like someone's going to go and give a book to an injured kid, you know? So, so today I live, I've lived my vision. Like I can just go and open the journal tonight and go, did I live my vision today? Yeah. Cause I spoke to ice. So via this content, someone, we assist someone or we inspire someone, no doubt. So I've found that it doesn't matter if I'm working with a team or I'm working in front of this camera or I've found it, it's actually helped me, hey. Because right at this stage as we sit here, I'm not tied down to any club. I'll still do the origin stuff this year, but I'm not actually locked into any club. Now, if I just built my whole life on working for a team and if, if I'm not with a team, my life goes to shit. You know, I'd, I'd be in a dark place now, but because I can still live by that vision each day, I'm sweet. Well, does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think when you say it, Mike, when I, when I hear you sort of speak that, there was this time where like I, I was, I've checked out mentally with Manly. Um, there was my, I didn't play first grade there. I was injured the whole year. It was kind of like the story of my career. And Trim Barrett tried to get me into coaching and I remember Hive and like Alex Melville, who was at um, there, they, they always said like, you make a good coach, you make a good coach. Yeah. And then I, I remember oh, like them offering me a role, like I would have been head coach of the twenties and they had like Nico Hines and stuff at the time. Um, and I remember just in my mind, the first thing I thought was like, at that time I could only in this inspire 20 to 25 players. I felt like I got a bigger purpose than that. And that's what I remember saying at the time. And at the time, I was still into like partying and traveling and doing all that. So to be locked back into another season, kind of like, like I've just spent my last 10 years, like not being able to travel in November or from November to October, you know what I mean? Or September, we whenever you get kicked out. My biggest source was like, I wanted freedom or I didn't want anyone to tell me what to do. And I sort of felt back going into coaching. I would, I would have like regretted it. And, but I remember the first thought, I was like, I feel like I can inspire more people than 25 guys at a time in a year. Yeah. Well, man, you've lived your vision today just by allowing me to do this content with you. So someone gets inspired today by one of your stories. So that you, you want to inspire, you want to make a difference way bigger than the 25 people in a team. And 
that's what you do, man. You do it through your business. You do it through your content. You do it through your clothing. It's 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 cool. And I think I'll double down on it now because, like, I think everyone knows how. If you follow YKT, sort of know our story. Like, I put so much time into everyone around me that and my staff that like they all started to grow. But what actually happened is I stopped growing at the same time where I've been so much time on them. And probably why some of them wanted to leave was because like dad stopped growing with them there. So, you know what I mean? So if I'm here, they get to a point where they know everything I know, it's sort of time for them to move on because they've stopped growing or they've got better opportunities where if I kept myself growing and getting smarter and hanging around different people, uh, they might have, things work out the way that they're meant to. And, and I'm happy that they've worked out that way. But and saying that, like, I wasn't probably being the type of leader that they wanted to follow for for an extended period. So you start looking at, like, in those different angles, too. Do you have any mentors in the business world? Yeah, few, few, yeah. Uh, some of them are, like, undercover, and then people I rely on, but I'm pretty lucky. Like, I've got access to a lot of successful people, and they, they, they've kind of approached me. Like, I haven't really gone out and, like, source mentors, but... Um, like when shit hits the fan, I usually bounce off four or five different people. Cool. My biggest advice to anyone is to talk to anybody old. Talk to anybody old. My, my two, two of my biggest mentors are actually in this building and they're both like over 60 years old. Yeah. And they're, they're some of my favorite people I love to talk to. Well, and you know what? It, it's the same as you did when you were a player. You spoke to the old player to learn from the ones you were living with that shared stuff with you and like... And then when you get into coaching, you always want to learn off older coaches because they've got lessons that if you listen, that can accelerate your career because they've got lessons they've learned that they're willing to share that could accelerate you. And same in business. That's great to hear. Um, oh, mate, I just went to Golden State two weeks ago and the best time I ever had was with this guy. His name's Ron Adams. He's the assistant coach of Golden State Warriors. He's a legend in the um, basketball world, NBA world. And he's 75 and he's been coaching since 1969. If I could have pressed record on the conversations I had over lunch, over hanging with him, invited me back the next day, took me to their warm-up, took me through the game day, all that. If I could have pressed record, like that's years and years of wisdom. That's priceless, you know? And that'd be the same in business here. Yeah? Talk to me about the hustle. You hustled pretty hard. Uh, early, early on I did it. It was kind of like, there was many different reasons why. One, my back was against the wall. Two, I was almost out of money. And three, I always had elements of imposter syndrome of like, you know what football is like. You try and do something new. Like all the boys are spraying you. And I was, I was the same. I was spraying everyone. That was, that was just locker room chat. But at the time, it was like, I know a lot of people do it now, but I was into, um, I was into photography like really early. Um, like, so I used to get up early and go around city and take photos and shit. Like I was into that boys used to pay me out for that i was into reading uh, a lot so um like i'm sitting in cafes and trying to have conversations about different things and boys just tell me to shut up and then i ended up getting from photos i went into like videography so i just had this little um skill set that sort of helped me transfer into this next little phase like pretty quickly but the hustle was it's just something you have to go through it's like i used to say it very well it's like trying to go trying to skip a preseason and rock up to round one like acting like you're ready and that that was it like I just had to go through that period and, and learn things the hard way and um, do like 16 hour days. Like cause I used to do all the hand packing from my house in Penrith. So I used to like make all the content, design all the clothes, do all the social media, cut up vlogs. And then like from nighttime, it's just hand pack. And they were, like, they were long days, but I'm glad I went through it. It was just because I had to learn. So I was doing that for like a year. 
year and a bit and then just kind of grew from there and got business mentors and understood how to actually run a business through fouling and then, yeah it was just i don't know like i think everyone goes for it it's like now i was i was interested to ask because because i'm going to tell you some things you'll laugh at but you'll hate me for like not hate me for but your product was getting everywhere right and i thought this guy's a genius he's just hustling away just um you would obviously give a lot of con got a lot of stuff early on yeah and um it was funny um Brad Fittler and I, we, we did this speech to these emerging origin players and it was like, listen boys. And the message was, you, you'll appreciate the message, but the message was, always be good to your clubs, be good to your clubs, respect your clubs, be good to your teammates. Listen, when you go and do a press conference for your club, put your club sponsor's hat on, don't put YKTR on or something, right? So, so this is like, this is coming out in a, so we just picked like 12, 11 new players, right? And, and look, some of the players, like, like we, lo- like we love Hainsey, right? Or, and Woodsy or whatever, but they were in the origin before we got there. And it was like, and it's like, have a look at this press conference, Aaron Woods or Hainsey or whoever turning up with a Nike hat on when we're sponsored by whoever, right? They were using the leverage, which is origin, which is huge. Mate, the the viewership on every press conference is ridiculous. And blokes started looking after their own bits, right? And the real professional clubs in the world, like you do not get away with that, right? But then like, so the word YKTR came up as a as an example, but like one of the young boys must have gone back to uh, Wade Graham at the Sharks. Oh, bro. Um, Freddie was talking about you yesterday about wearing your YKTR hat in press conferences and that. The next day we had a senior origin camp. So that day was the juniors. Next day the senior boys come in. And we brought Wade in. He hadn't played recently for us. Obviously he played before, but we brought Wade in because we know we're going to need him. He's a gun. We love him, right? Everything about him. And, um, but Wade actually comes and fronts Freddie and, and me like to his head. Freddie. You put me on show yesterday in front of my my young players at Cronulla. He goes, I would never do that to Cronulla. I, I wouldn't do that to Cronulla. And Freddie goes, and I'm joined in the conversation like, Wade, man, your club's struggling for a sponsor. And all we're using as an example is we're trying to say, be good to your clubs and not look after yourself. That's basically was the message, right? I've gone away a long way around it. Anyway, Wade goes, no, nah, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. So we've grabbed the phone. I can't Google Wade Graham, YKTR, bang, picture pops up, press conference, cameras everywhere. Hey, Cron- good for me. Cronulla kit, YKTR hat. <laughs> Mate, it was so funny. But you know what we did do? When Wade walks away, we, Freddie and I, we actually love his loyalty to you. Like you've got some good mates that were like real doing their best to um, promote your product back then. And then... So anyway, hats got canned, clubs got too clever, righto boys, you're all taking the piss, stop promoting your own stuff, here's our sponsor, bang, so hats got banned. So next thing you know, so I get out of Penrith, geez, I laugh, all of a sudden, they all got these long YKTR socks on, they're cool, they look cool too, and they're all wearing them, and I was like, I'm not even going to 
fight this battle because that's not me. Like that's not in my area, but I do know what's going on because I've got a. I do think that way as well. Like um, I appreciate the business side and that. So I um, I like these boys are just taking the piss here. Like, but YKTR have got clever. The hats aren't working. I'm gonna go socks because every day there's cameras on the boys and that. And and it was funny. Um, I come back from Juventus. And I had a joke as one of the boys that said, you're good, you wouldn't get away with that at Juventus, you know. And, uh, well, what do you mean, what do you mean? So Ronaldo's like, his endorsement with Nike's ridiculous, but when he rocks in, when he walks in those buildings, he has to wear Adidas socks. Yeah, man, like, when they go in, when a soccer team goes in, their locker's all set up, shirt, shorts, socks, it's set up for training every day, and every player must wear the exact same thing. And um, doesn't matter that he's earning 50 mil over there, he must wear Adidas socks. And But you were too clever. You were too clever. YKTRs, the boys love it, and now it's become a street brand, right? Like, it's our, it's outgrown rugby league. Yeah, and that was kind of always like the player. Like, we never just wanted to be associated as like a rugby league uh, brand. And, and probably happened like, um, like recently when the two boys left, I sort of felt like we were in the too much of a rugby league style brand like we, we started growing um like personally i never wanted to just love rugby league fucking beautiful sport love watching it blah 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 but i think we started to pigeonhole ourselves with that and with scope and mace sort of leaving it was like they're a bit older too so we sort of felt like we were moving away from initially what we what we wanted to be now we've got brandon smith on the books and Ari Savia, which is fucking huge for us so when those boys left it was important that we got someone who was believed in the brand for one and wanted to have a and someone who's got a global reach and Artie's got that. So um, with the within the boys leaving, we had Artie in the, in the but w- within two weeks he was sort of signed on and, and ready to roll. So um, it's just trying to put, make that and, and take it out into the world and then move away even more from rugby league. Yeah, I could feel that just watching from afar because I see your brand now as a street brand, like a it's it's trendy clothing that like so my son. He'll go and buy your stuff, you know, like, like it's become, and it's not just well, rugby leagues where it started, of course, and you had some mates help you by putting the hat on, put the socks on and that, but it's, it's now it's going to go global and rugby league's about that big in the big scheme of things, isn't it? For sure. Like, um, like you look at like, I look at like market research and everything and like, as much as I love rugby league, it's just an Eastern suburb, Eastern part of Australia. Like, I know it's in the UK, but they get pushed all the way down. Realistically, it's a Brisbane and Queensland and New South Wales sport. So you can go down to Melbourne. It's all about AFL down there or South Australia AFL. So it's a big market. Don't get me wrong. There's room for everyone to grow. But if you look at the context of the whole world, it's just a little speckle of what we do. Yeah. So, mate, I've liked the lessons through playing and there's been some injury and you definitely think like a coach, like you played a halfback role where you had to, you had to get into the nerdy stuff. You had to study the game. and I loved it, eh? Actually, yeah. I to, like, we, we had an hour and a half videos of five, and I used to sit there and I was like, yes, I like this. Because I used to like, watch it, and then like you see it pop up and, and play, as, or you pop up on the weekend, and it's like, yeah, this is cool. Like, I enjoyed all that. That's cool. And so you you also understood about building relationships. Like, that was crucial as a halfback because people have to do what you say. Um we touched on the culture piece, which is another whole episode. I totally believe that the clubs that get this right will um, be the difference. That's the next thing for me. 
we mentioned even the Indigenous. I just spent some time with the Indigenous All Stars and even me, mate, like uh, being an Australian kid to to not know some of the stuff I now know was it's it's uh, it's horrible to think that our people were treated in our country and we don't even we don't even know we haven't respected it we haven't understood it or even even taking the chance to listen to it. I mean, like I used, to, I used to go out and like party on Australia Day when I first got out. Like, how good party? Sunny, it's, it's um, January, it's summer. Like, let's go on a boat. Even just small stuff like that, I've just kind of like stopped doing and just sort of. I still public holiday. Like I respect like, but I just don't go out and celebrate shit. Yeah, I think it's just encouraging people to make an effort to learn, learn, just listen. Now I recently did an episode with Dean Withers where, man. His grandmother was taken away from their parents, you know, like there's people in our country that not so long ago weren't even allowed on the street after one o'clock or they'll get locked up. That's not so long ago. So making effort to learn and respect that it's been, how it's been hard for some people growing up in this country. The clubs that get that right and learn about other cultures too, because like you said, the Polynesian culture through our game, you know, like, you know, people will criticise, say, Steve Crichton for going and taking a million dollar deal, right? But but I know Steve Crichton didn't have his own bedroom until he was about 18 years old because he shared a floor with 10 brothers and sisters and cousins and family members. And, and I know that in that culture, how important it is to look after his family. And so I, I'm quite proud of him to go and take the big deal, you know? Um, if he can provide for a family that, that's how they live. That's that little in the sanctum that they live in. That um, I respect that, but I've, I've taken time to learn about him. You know, you know. So the clubs that do that the best will be the next, the next best man. And you, like Penrith, probably got a good, good opportunity now, but they could build a club like a, a Storm or Roosters where they have success over a, a long period of time. So that's where they're at now. They're like obviously chasing the dynasty this year, which would be fucking sick if they can do it, but. Like, you want to build longevity, and you've seen how much of their teams have been pulled apart, but, like, Ivan's core thesis is, like, inspire their community or whatever it is. They've been able to do that. Like, and start looking out there, and like, that's your right out there. Yeah. Right, he's he's doing that. He's inspiring a whole a whole community, and if he keeps ticking that box, the trophies will take care of itself. If Nathan keeps being calm under pressure, the trophies will take care of itself, you know, like... Yeah, I can't see him changing things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If he's doing it at this age, he'll be all right. Yeah. Um, what other sports are you into, mate? I see you're, you're always into all the American sports, huh? Um, to be honest, like, I watch a little bit of sports and a few different things, but I, I love the cross between, obviously, sports and business, and that's probably a big thing that I sort of promote or, like, pre preach. So basketball is very interesting to me. Like, technically, I don't watch the whole sport. Like, I'll, I won't sit there and watch a full game of basketball until the finals come around. But the way they operate outside of basketball is stuff I find interesting, like how LeBron moves if uninterrupted, how KD's got, like, the boardroom, how they started to build their own media companies because they wanted to control the narratives. I find that really interesting. Um, just stuff like that. Like, I think UFC, the way that they market the sport week by week, and they've always got elite storytelling on, on there. I find that I find that stuff more interesting than the actual sport itself. Uh, rugby Union coming around this year, and, and I look at ARU, I know they just signed Joseph Sawali, but like ground up, it's probably a sport that's probably in a bit of trouble because they can't get any funding. They can't get funding because they can't win games. No one's watching them, so who's going who's gonna to sponsor them? 
Um, but then you go to a global stage like the World Cup, which is going to happen this year, and it'll shit all over the Rugby League World Cup because all the viewership's there, and it's quite open this year. So interesting to see how that plays out. I don't know. I think I think I think I look at it as a more broad thing now instead of just the sport itself. Where like I love the Monday to Friday of training and seeing what people get up to and how they implement it. But now I'm in business. I love like top to bottom. So I love the Roosters because top to bottom. <laughs> They got it, you, and that's why that's why over the past ten years they won three comps. So if you can go to a club, you could have a thirty percent win rate over ten years. You're like, fuck, how are they doing that? So I find that stuff more interesting. Yeah, I want to get on the board at the Roosters one day, mate. We've just said that that's a first. Have you ever said that anywhere? Oh, maybe. I think I com- I, I think I com- um I think I read a comment on Mark Boris's. Uh, how do I get on the board? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll podcast him a few times. So hey, we're well. cool. What's wrong with uh, thinking high like that, man? What And talk about a board that run a good ship. Like they, they play to win premierships. It says it when you walk in the room. It says it. You go in their corridor, we play to win premierships. And I always found Nick was really good to me. I was only there for three years. He was. You know what happened once? I found his credit card. I actually found a, like an unlimited, unlimited. Imagine what he could buy on this credit card. I found it in the car park on my first day at work. And I was like, pick it up, take it into the office, PA, uh, honey, Kath, we called her, Kath King, such a legend lady. Hey, it's, I think I've found something pretty important here. Nick Politis, um, unlimited credit card. It was heavy too. It was like black, it was, like, it was actually heavy. And um, anyway, he rang me. Hayden, thanks so much. Um, I was going to Greece tonight. I would have been lost without it. Mate, for some reason, on just chance, I got to connect with Nick Politis my first week there, and then he was always really good to me. He was always, I don't know if he's like that because of that little connection, but even when I left, he um, he offered me his unit on the Gold Coast. He he actually gave me his unit to go stay here. He's keys. Um, he offered me his, like he's. He, I think that's just who he is, eh? Yeah, he's such a. Um, like I look, you find pictures of him and you see him like supporting Robbo. Like you can just see how much he supports. And then you could see other coaches, other industries where coaches are under pressure because they've got this leader looking over their shoulder. You can't coach clearly when that happens. I've seen it. You can't coach clearly when that's happening. Whereas Roos is like, Nick, he every pitch you ever see, like he supports Robbo. Even when Robbo was going through a tough time, the first thing he did was like, here you go, extend your deal. Like he, he, and the way he operates that board is, um, yeah, I mean, it speaks for itself, right? So we're going to see you on there one day. Hopefully. There you are. I think you have to be a billionaire to get on there though. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's coming your way. You often talk about Gary V. I've heard some of your stuff and you talk about Gary V. Now he talks about one day owning a, a, the Jets, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Jets. He talks about owning the Jets one day. What's wrong with Eamon High, brother? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, obviously, I've seen it in the same things of a regular club, but I think from a business standpoint, probably not a great investment at the same time. But obviously, when you're those types of boys where um, it's more just a passion thing for them. But like American sports is a lot different. Like, you can actually make money off. Like, all those things are worth like billions of dollars and all the viewerships and sponsorships that come through. I'm just happy to be a fan, to be honest. Yeah. Do you um do you think you'll ever brand a team like ATR? Oh, I don't know. Like, like when I think about it, so how much does it cost to get across the front? A million bucks. Yeah. Eh? Mm, 
thinking about a million bucks, if I could turn it into Facebook advertising or Instagram advertising, I'd rather spend my money there. Because like the way that they sell that style of marketing, like, oh, it's going to be on TV every, every place. But realistically, I don't really look at a Steggles brand and go, I want to go buy Steggles. I think I can use that money. I'd rather use it on TikTok or Instagram right now because I can measure the ROAS or the return on ad spend from, from a marketing standpoint. Because I run a marketing agency as well called Dice Digital, so I understand all the data and everything in the back end. I, I, I could probably, if I had a million dollars and I could get a 2x, 3x return on it, I'd probably rather do that and get $3 million or $4 million than, than for the egos to go, hey. Yeah, yeah, because, well, you've come a long way since, like, I, I bet you used to love seeing a picture of, like, ATR on, on one of the boys, you know? But now, like, um, now it's out there and now it's the way you're heading, you're going to spend your money elsewhere. I was just curious, with your passion for sport, will we one day see like ATR? Do you know team? what I'd like to see that clubs don't really do here is a cross between, like, say, like, say I love the Roosters and we've done a brand with cross-collab with YKTR, but it's more tailored towards the street. So I look at rugby league clothes right now, and like the reason why we rock American sports stuff is because it, it looks cool. Save them. That's why my son spends his money. Yeah, and you know what I mean? So we don't really have that here, and like, they can rock a jersey, that's okay, okay. it looks all right, but you're not going to rock a jersey everywhere unless you're like a little bit older or just a diehard fan, creating like streetwear that actually appeals to a younger demographic and the street, I think, that would be the play. Like, I'd love to do something like that. Um, we talked about it a while ago. We'd done, a, like, a TikTok where, like, Earl's, which is Louis Brown's brand, um, doing a cross with the Warriors would be, like, sick. Or um, Alfred's Apartment, they're a really cool brand from up in Gold Coast. Like, he loves the Broncos, the owner, but I think that Gold Coast collab will look really, really cool. So I think if clubs start moving towards that, not not to make money, just to do something cool for the streets where they're like, oh, that was cool, or we signed off on that and it sold out. I think that that'll be a better way to move. Like how you think you should do this with my kids' junior clubs, brother. You'll make a fortune. Yeah. Right. Heaps of money in that, eh? Yeah. Hey, Dad, can we have... Yeah. Yeah. They, they all want the cool stuff. Yeah. And your stuff is. Yeah, right. That's interesting. Jeez, I didn't even know about your digital agency, so you've gone pretty hard on all that side. Um, we just, like, I got to a point where everyone was just asking me questions, so we set up a marketing agency, and uh, we've got four people. It runs from over in the Northern Beaches, but the interesting thing is you can see behind the scenes of all brands and data, and you sort of can, can just... It's kind of like having, you know, the boys used to watch video, and you could, like, type in, like, Nathan Cleary touches... Like you get to see behind the scenes of everything and, and then businesses and what's working. And then, um, yeah, I just find the data part really interesting. That's cool, man. That's cool. Well, mate, I, could I just get you to finish with like your reader? So if anyone's listening today, like let's give you a couple of your favorite books. Um, give us your favorite lesson you could give to uh, an up and coming athlete who's experienced, let's say there's a kid listening in New Zealand that's going to follow your footsteps, but then let's give one to the up and coming entrepreneur because there's a lot of young people now that, you know, there's going to be a roller coaster like sport. Um, I don't know if you ever listened to the episode I did with Ivan Cleary, but the roller coaster was here. I was with him and he nearly quit. He actually said it. He says, I'm, I'm going to, I'm done. Like, and we said it in the, we talked about it in the episode and, uh, can you imagine he quit? Because look what was around the corner, you know? Like there's so many people in the entrepreneurial world who are the same. They're probably 
things aren't happening. It's just way the weight of the world's coming down on them. And then, you know, do I really want to do this? But then you don't know what's there. Yeah. There's a saying like three feet from gold, which is like usually when you're about to give up and this has happened to me plenty of times or when things are at its hardest, that's when you're usually about to take off. And that's probably the lesson I learned from this last couple of months is like every time I felt like the, my biggest struggle was the growth happened not too far from that. Uh, a couple books. First book would probably the book I got helped me get into reading was a book called The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Uh, it's, a, it's a really easy book to read because it's fictional, but it's got a really cool message behind it. It used to be, I don't know if it still is, but it was Wolf Smith's favorite book. So if you're not a big reader, um, best thing to do is get books that are easy to read and then eventually pick up the habit. So that's a good book to read. Atomic Habits, James Clare from one of my favorite books, changed how I've done a lot of things in life. And there's a classic book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Uh, really simple to read was been written back in like 1935 but it teaches you how to communicate with people so like a, a key lesson from it is like people love the sound of their own name like you could be in a, in a stadium full of people and if I hear Isaac like you're gonna like remember that so going into conversations it teaches you how to communicate with people and people that are smarter than you and sometimes when you go in a room with someone who's more successful for, for, than you you've only got their attention for a small time now I jumped on Mark Boris's podcast The Mentor probably about three three years ago and kind of knew who he was, but not really. But I took time to do some research on him. And I, I just found my touch point straight away. I, was, I, like, I knew he loved the Roosters. I knew he was like Grink. Um, so my first touch point was, I'm from Tokoroa, like Joseph Manu and Zane Tedavano. They're from there too. First touch point straight away. And then I'd watched a couple of Instagram posts from him the day before. And he's really big into storytelling. And I, I built my narrative around that. Like, I love storytelling. Like, you're Greek, eh? And he's like, yeah. And he, do you think um, stories would have transcended if they didn't have Greek mythology? Like you look at all the guys and he's it's going. And halfway through, um, he went. He goes has a toilet break and his staff goes, "Oh, like, I haven't seen him this excited about a podcast in a while." But but I learned that lesson from um, that book was like people try and get them to get. So if I want you to get interested in me, I don't talk about myself. I talk about you. So say if you're into fishing, like all I do is ask you questions about fishing. And so you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I leave, you go, fuck, he was a good bloke, wasn't he? Because in theory, people just want to talk about themselves. <laughs> and that was from that book. Yeah, yeah, really good. Re old, old school book, but... <laughs> he loves it, eh? Yeah. And all his analogies always come back to boxing. Like, he's like, in the boxing ring. And like, I don't know, boxing film. Yeah, just good. Yeah, yeah. You can say what you want, bro. Uh, advice for upcoming athletes? Um, I think be diverse. Like when you, when you, I remember, um, like I used to think like everything was about football at the time and I thought that would be the best way to live. I don't think it is. And like I said, if you attach your, um, ego or who you are to what you do, you're in for a up and down roller coaster. So I can't probably give you advice on football cause there's much better people who can, but in terms of being like a person and an athlete at the same time, I think it's why you've got that leverage, maximize it as a player he, like like the Bruce's players got access to billionaires go have a coffee with those guys because while you're playing they're going to be answering your phone calls they're going to be replying back to your text messages when you're not in that sort of system that goes away yeah that's it that's actually what happens so going around learning off as many people as you can in, in different industries and how you got to figure out how you learn best a lot a lot of football players are visual um Put yourself in those situations because like how you treat people on your way up while you're in that they'll sort of help you after 
I think that's really important. And entrepreneurs, um, spend money on your brain. That's probably the best advice I can give you. It's our greatest tool that we have, and it's probably the thing we spend the less time on or less money on. Like we're happy to put money through poker machines or, or things that give us a chance at luck. You spend money on your brain, um, everything else starts to grow with it. You grow with it. Opportunities grow with it. Your money grows with it. That's probably the most important part. When you say spend money on your brain, you're talking your reading or you're also talking about your mental health? Um, Probably reading, but mental health probably... I reckon... I'm not a mental health expert, but I think exercise is the key part for mental health. So spend money on exercise or... Spend money on yourself. Invest. Because if you're clear... If you're clear, you are such a creative person. If your mind's clear, you're going to get more creative. Yeah, like it, and you were like that as a player, the position you play, very creative. You play at your best when you're clear. And light and free. And I think exercise does that. Yeah. It's the same in anything, especially creative people. If, you, if you've invested and front loaded your efforts to make sure you are clear, you're performing at your best. You know, so... Um, and I've found whenever I've gone through, like, really big struggles in business, like, I used to... Like, I used to get up really early, like, 3.34. Um, but I used to come to work straight away. And, and I thought, like, me being in the office for 15 hours is going to help me solve the problems that I had within the office, where it was actually me spending time outside of the office and going for a run and getting in the water and, and exercising. And that's why I used to come up with my solutions, because they were... Yeah, had a clear mind. I was like, oh... I read a book once, you're a reader, and I can't think of it. I, I need to be able to tell you the name of the book. But in the book was talking about the creative people like you. I like to think I'm a bit creative, but you are just next level creative here. Um, they think a lot of their ideas in the shower because the water and, and, you, and that's what happens. So that computer out there has got so much space to handle. But if you want to put more stuff in it, you've got to delete files. You've got to get rid of that. You've got to get rid of that and create more space. The brain's the same. You can only handle so much. There's only so much it can handle. But when you clear the space, the creativity just goes, just comes. Apparently, that's a fact. In the shower, there's a lot of brilliant ideas have come in the shower. And I think whenever you can detach yourself from technology. So, like, sometimes I'll drive to work and I won't listen to a podcast or a book or music. I'll just sit there and because you can't go on your phone, just let your mind think. Exercising is another um, opportunity for that we run and you get into your runner's high and then you start to think clearly you can't take your phone in the shower so what you do when you jump on your phone you're taught you're not taught to think a certain way but um, you don't experience boredom because like you're always entertained you know what I mean so you jump on your phone you jump on TikTok like you're just reacting to stuff you don't really have to think so I like to put, put myself in positions of boredom or without technology because that's where your best ideas come from and travel travel planes Planes, planes are my favourite. Like planes, I'm like this. I yeah. have a plane trip. Yeah. I, lo I sometimes feel like going on a trip just to get creative. Mm. I do just that to too. think. Yeah. I always yeah. have a um, notepad and pen when I go onto a plane because I don't really like watching movies on planes for some I'm reason. I'm the same. I don't know. It's like, I'm just not comfortable. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I always have really good ideas on planes. Yeah. We'll have a trip one day, brother. <laughs> some of the best learning you will ever do will be travelling. Give yourself space time to creatively think to learn to meet people or take a vacation with your family give yourself that time and there's no better person or people or company to help you than the people at Tripadeal. their experienced agents will look after you from start to finish 
They will plan your flights, your accommodation, your car, your excursions, whatever you need. If you want to plan a trip of a lifetime, Tripadeal is the place to go. Tripadeal.com.au. Thank you.